Welcome to Backlog Books. My name is Kara. In this podcast, I will be recapping and discussing what I have been reading lately. Thank you for joining me and please be prepared for spoilers. Just a quick note that it is currently storming outside. I think I'm pretty well insulated where I am and we shouldn't pick up any thunder noises, but you never know. So if you hear a rumbling in the distance, just imagine it adding to the atmosphere of this book. This time, we are talking about Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. Frankenstein was first published in 1818, which makes it the oldest book I have read for this podcast. I read it in July of 2021. Our author, Mary Shelley, was born in 1797 and died in 1851. She had a tumultuous life, starting with running away at 16 with a married man. She and her eventual husband were plagued by financial difficulties and would often move to get away from debtors. She wrote Frankenstein at 18 after an inspiring summer spent in Switzerland. Her husband died only eight years after they ran away together. After his death, she dedicated the rest of her life to writing and raising their only surviving child. She is obviously best known for Frankenstein, but she wrote several more novels, and in recent years, people have been paying more attention to her writing and not just her life and her husband. Here is the summary of Frankenstein. Victor Frankenstein's monster is stitched together from the limbs of the dead, taken from the dissecting room and the slaughterhouse. The result is a grotesque being who, rejected by his maker and starved of human companionship, sets out on a journey to seek his revenge. I will say this for older books, they have very short summaries, straight to the point. There are lots of apocryphal stories about how the novel of Frankenstein came about. There's even a Doctor Who episode about it. We know Mary Shelley was in Switzerland for a summer with her husband and Lord Byron and saw Frankenstein Castle, which is a real place. Whether they had a scary story competition and that's where the idea of the novel came about is kind of up for debate, I feel. But however it came to be, this is a really good book. It might be the first science fiction novel ever, though it also crosses the boundaries into horror. Our story begins with a young man setting out on a voyage of exploration and daring discovery. Young Robert Walton, stirred by all he has read about Arctic explorers, sets out on an expedition of his own. He's driven by a desire to elevate himself. Out on the Arctic Sea, trapped by the ice, Walton finds something he never imagined, a man chasing down a demon of his own creation. Walton and his crew rescue Victor Frankenstein from the ice, and as Frankenstein recovers from his trials, he sees one like himself in Walton, and seeking to warn him about the dangers of the path he is on, Frankenstein spins a tale so strange and so tragic 
that Walton almost cannot believe it. Walton, writing letters to his sister, recounts the whole tale to us. This is another example of a framing story. The story is relayed secondhand as heard by an outsider to the tale. I suspect this is to give the story mystery, but also some legitimacy. What reason would this outsider have to make up such a fantastical tale? Or maybe we're meant to understand this story may be full of errors because it is second and even third-hand information. Frankenstein's tale begins before his birth. He tells how his parents met, got married, whatever. The main point is that his parents adored him and took every opportunity to make sure he would have a rich and happy life. A few years after he was born, they also adopted a girl named Elizabeth and loved and raised her as their own. He and Elizabeth and a friend named Henry Clerville had a picturesque and happy childhood living in beautiful Switzerland. It's a sweet beginning to a tale that Frankenstein assures us is full of misery and heartache. While still a teenager, Frankenstein leaves home to study in Germany. Separated from his family and the balancing heartfelt influence of Elizabeth, he soon descends into obsession. He is obsessed with the idea that he can, using science, create life. Jurassic Park said it best. Your scientists were so preoccupied with whether they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. He is so focused on this task that he secludes himself from other people and stops communicating with his family. Using body parts from dissecting rooms and slaughterhouses, Frankenstein creates a being purposefully larger and more powerful than any man alive. The fateful moment arrives and Frankenstein has proved his theory. He brings his creation to life. And as it opens its eyes, Frankenstein is horrified by its ugliness, by how unnatural it is, and he runs away from it. He wanders the city all night, terrified that the creature will find him, thinking it's hiding in every shadow. In the morning, he runs into Henry Clerville, his childhood friend who has been worried because no one back home has heard from Frankenstein while he was in the midst of creating. Frankenstein and Henry return to Frankenstein's apartment to find that the creature has disappeared. Overcome with joy and stress, Frankenstein collapses. We are going to see this over and over, that what he has done overwhelms him and strikes him down with illness. He spends months recovering, nursed by his friend. His recovery is slow, and every day he is terrified. Frankenstein turned away from his creation at its very first breath, but that's not what haunts him now not abandoning the responsibility of a creator to their creation, but rather he fears that someone will find out what he has done. I would say this is the point where the creature really begins to haunt his every step and thought, but it happens earlier, with the idea for his creation, the desire to do something that no one else had done. 
It took over his life before it ever drew its first breath. When I read older books, I have to remind myself over and over that life moves so fast now. I ran into this problem when I was reading Dracula, too. These older books, everything takes so much time. Months and weeks for travel or a message to arrive or to recover from an illness. It's two years before Frankenstein is recovered and able to travel back home. There has been no sign of his creation since he ran away from it. Before he makes it home, Frankenstein receives news telling him his youngest brother has been murdered. Devastated, he seeks solitude in nature, hoping to find peace and tranquility before he gets home. Instead, he sees a strange, grotesque figure and becomes convinced that it is his creation and, moreover, that his creation killed his brother. He has no evidence, only his belief. Someone else has been found guilty of the murder. Frankenstein argues against this conviction as best he can without telling the whole truth. He thinks that if he told anyone, they would consider him mad. No matter what he says, he can't convince the magistrate, and an innocent person is hanged for his creation's crime. And now begins his separation from other humans, a gulf built out of his guilt and regret. He's finally starting to feel responsible for what he has done. After the hanging, once again, Frankenstein takes himself out into nature. The constant, untouchable beauty of the natural world helps calm him and keeps him centered. Alone, sheltered in the mountains of his birthplace, he finally comes face to face with his creation. Frankenstein's creature looks the same, still hideous and pieced together, but now he talks and dresses like a person. Frankenstein rants and raves and declares it a monster, but he cannot help but wonder what has happened since the creature first opened his eyes. So now we get Walton recounting to his sister Frankenstein's retelling of the monster's story. Layers and layers of stories. And so we discover what happened two years ago when Frankenstein fled in fear from what he had created. The creature was blind and by chance wandered out of the city and into the woods. He had no concept of anything, discovering by trial and error how to survive. He became curious about what the rest of the world was like, but he couldn't speak, he didn't understand anyone, he couldn't read or write, and every person he encountered ran away from him or attacked him. He sheltered near a house, and through watching its inhabitants, he learned how to speak and read and saw how the family lived together and loved each other. The creature yearned to be accepted, but once again, as soon as the family saw him, they drove him away. The creature was left alone again, but this time he understood what he could never have, the connections and families that form so much of life. There was no human who would ever accept him. But perhaps he could find his creator— 
seek him out and understand what had driven his creator both to make him and to abandon him. The creature is driven by anger. He's furious at his abandonment and the fact that his existence seems unwanted and hated from its inception. Was he created just to be hated? The creature found his way to Switzerland, and, driven by the desire to harm his creator, he admits that he killed Frankenstein's younger brother and framed someone else for the crime. The creature ends his story with a demand for his creator. He wants Frankenstein to make him a wife, a companion for his shunned and hated existence, with a companion, the creature will leave, will retreat to the wilds, and never again haunt humanity. But if his demand is not met, the creature will make sure the rest of Frankenstein's life is pure misery. Frankenstein is furious at this demand, given so soon after his creation has admitted to killing his brother and framing someone. But he begins to feel... Again, the pangs of responsibility not toward his creation, but toward the rest of humanity. He has unwittingly unleashed a murderer who is stronger and faster than any man alive. Though the idea of creating another is abhorrent to him, if it will really make the creature leave, doesn't Frankenstein owe it to his fellow humans to protect them? Where was the sense of responsibility when he first created life? What a sharp contrast between his parents, who treasured the being that they had created and did everything in their power to give him a good life. When Frankenstein created life, he merely thought of scientific achievement, nothing else. The creature, satisfied by Frankenstein's promise to make him a wife, departs. Frankenstein doubts himself immediately. He wonders whether the creature will keep his promise. He's haunted by the death of his brother and the innocent woman blamed for his murder. His father and Elizabeth do their best to cheer him up, but they don't understand what's been going on and he cannot tell them. Together with Henry Clerville, Frankenstein travels to the lonely Scottish Isles to complete the work he promised. Clerville stays in England, and Frankenstein works once again in isolation, though he is sure that his creation has followed him and watches his every move. The work he once obsessed over and found so fulfilling is now his worst nightmare. He can finally see the consequences— that these creatures of his might go into the world and wreak havoc, or together create a new race of monsters. He does not trust the word of his own creation, and so he makes the decision to break his promise and destroys the half-made companion. Frankenstein believes he is prepared to suffer the consequences. He'll gladly die to pay for what he has done, he doesn't realize that his creation will not be content with his death. Instead, the creature turns on the people Frankenstein loves. Henry Clerval, being the closest, is the first to fall. Frankenstein is suspected as the killer, and he falls ill once again, 
tormented by his friend's death and blaming himself for the murder. Eventually, his innocence is proven and he makes his slow, sad way home. He allows his father to plan his wedding to Elizabeth, even though he's convinced his creation will come and kill him on his wedding night. He's determined that this time he will destroy the creature. He's so focused on himself and his guilt that he can't see what's actually going on. On their wedding night, Frankenstein stays awake, pacing the halls with a gun, expecting at any moment the creature will arrive and strike. Instead, the creature sneaks in and murders Elizabeth. It's tragic, it's awful, but the whole time, Frankenstein has actually done very little to stop his creation. He vows over and over that he'll kill the creature, but any attempt he makes is easily brushed aside. He tells the magistrate the whole story, hoping to muster a force of men to stop his creation, and the magistrate tells him it sounds like there's nothing to be done against such a monster. But Frankenstein, silenced by his guilt and fear, never warns his family or friends. After Elizabeth's death, Frankenstein devotes himself to the pursuit of his creation, vowing to kill him or die. Their chase takes him across the globe. Always his creation is ahead of him, leaving clues and taunting notes to keep Frankenstein on his trail. I guess if he could not have the love of another being, the creature would settle for the single-minded hatred and focus of his creator. Frankenstein's chase takes him to the Arctic, and there, barely alive, he is rescued by Walton, and we return at last to the beginning and the end of our tale. Frankenstein is at the end of his strength. He beseeches Walton to live in peace and avoid ambition and to protect the ones he loves, and feeling the ghosts of his lost family around him, Frankenstein dies at peace. At the end, the creature finds Frankenstein dead and weeps. Walton witnesses as the creature vows, now that his creator is dead, to take his own life. He has been spurned and hated at every turn, and nothing he did ever satisfied his craving for sympathy or companionship. He sought to make Frankenstein like himself, shunned by all society, miserable and wretched. And he succeeded for a while. But Frankenstein always had other people he could find solace in. Even in the frozen wastes, he found a friend in Walton. The creature was always alone, from the moment he opened his eyes to the very end. With a final sorrowful cry, the creature bounds away into the snow and ice, and, as far as Walton knows, is never seen or heard of again. Walton's final letter to his sister tells her that he has given up on his expedition, and he's coming home. My final word on Frankenstein. This is a very good book. I am not surprised it has remained a classic for over 200 years. Definitely worth picking up, especially if you're interested in the original Frankenstein story. If you want more media like this, you can watch Jurassic Park. 
Also for a fun young adult's take on daughters of major literary characters, like from Frankenstein and The Island of Dr. Moreau and Dracula, you can try The Strange Case of the Alchemist's Daughter by Theodora Goss. Join me next time to hear about Dragon Song by Anne McCaffrey. Yes, I'm doing another dragon book. If you enjoyed the podcast, please take a minute to rate and review it. You can find the pod on Facebook at Backlog Books Podcast. Comments or questions, you can email me at backlogbookspod at gmail.com. The music is by Joseph McDade. You can hear more of his work at josephmcdade.com. Thank you for spending this time with me. I hope to talk with you again soon.